Hey, church family, uh, it's great to be with you, whether you are part of Vine Life in Manchester or Nations in Leicester, um, we are really glad to be with you and excited to be diving into the next part of Philippians with you this morning. Um, hey, listen, one thing I want to just say as a reminder um, and an invitation is don't forget about the lounge. We know we can't be together in the same room. We're not seeing each other and interacting like we would we normally would on Sunday mornings. Um, but listen, the lounge is a really, it is a good way of seeing people, connecting with people, just a snapshot. And it is genuinely, it's lovely to see people. It's great to see people's kids and how much they've grown and how much they've changed. If you've if you've never jumped on the lounge, or maybe not for a while, um, we would love to see you, whether you're in Leicester or Manchester. It's 10.30. Just head to the website. All the details will be there. But I just want, I want to really encourage you. Let's keep connected, even while we can't physically see each other. Digitally, we can see each other and spend a little bit of time together. Um, and it's actually really fun. It's really valuable. So I would encourage you. Maybe you've not come on it for a while, but next Sunday, um, come on and say hello with a cup of tea. Um, it'd be great to see you. So we're going to carry on in our series looking at Philippians. We're going to be right at the end of chapter one today. And um, you know, another thing I want to keep saying, and I want to encourage you, is remember this is a letter written to a group of people, and I really want to encourage you to be reading it and keep rereading it. Obviously, we're breaking it down into little chunks, and we're unpacking it kind of a few verses at a time, um, but it's really helpful. It's a really valuable kind of ri- rhythm and habit to get into, actually to be reading it as a whole. And so my encouragement to you is, you know, while we're, for the next few months, we're in Philippians, why don't you, once a week, just sit down and read the whole thing? It's not long. It's only four chapters. It'll take you 15 minutes at most Um, but just keep reading it and you'll see how then you'll get a much bigger picture rather than just the sort of the the bit we're looking at morning and by morning but actually you see the whole thing the other thing to remind you is if you haven't looked there's um there's a link on our website vinelife.co.uk forward slash philippians we put a few helpful resources there you know and some of them videos and podcasts that just again will help you with a little bit more insight and understanding into kind of the context and what's going on and you know how do we approach and, and unpack these letters so just encourage you should be doing that. But for this morning, we're going to be in Philippians 1, um, verses 27 to 30. And again, you know, some Bibles put little headers in. And, and so the NIV calls this little section, life worthy of the gospel. So let's start um, from verse 27. So Paul says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So it's only a short little passage, um, absolutely masses and masses in it. And I want to start with that opening phrase, you know, whatever happens. You know, essentially, this is why we need to read the the book as a whole. If we remember um, the verses we looked at last week, you know, Sam unpacked for us, is actually, so Paul is saying, listen, whatever happens, you know, whether Paul lives or dies, whether, you know, he's able to come and visit them or only, only hears about them, whether, you know, people are preaching the gospel for good motives or bad, Regardless of any of that, any of the externals, what he's saying is whatever happens to me, to you in culture, whatever happens, our responsibility and our focus is to live a life worthy of the gospel. And the externals don't change that. That doesn't give us like a pass out to not doing that. That's the headline. And that's really where I want to mainly focus in this, this morning, looking at that idea of conducting ourselves 
in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, it's going to be helpful for us to look at the original Greek here. That, that phrase that it's translated conduct yourselves is actually one Greek word that comes from the Greek root politeumai, which is where we get our word politics. Okay. Now, what he's not saying is, you know, if you are a politician or you're involved in the political realm, this is relevant to you. But really, you know, that political realm basically means he's talking about your public behavior so how do we how we live and engage in society how we interact in our culture and our context essentially what he's saying is how you live your life as a citizen where God's got you that's what he's saying so the new living translation actually translates it like that it says above all you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So what, is, like, what does that mean? What does that mean to conduct ourselves and live as citizens? I want us to kind of consider that. And again, this is where it helps us to, to remember who are the people who this letter is written to, these people living in Philippi. Okay, so Philippi was a pretty significant and quite prosperous, wealthy Roman colony. Um, so um, people would predominantly have spoke Latin, would have dressed in the Roman style. Lots of people in Philippi were actually retired um, people from the military. They were um, given plots of land and they came to live and settle in their retirement in Philippi. Even the, sort of the architecture and how Philippi was built and laid out, it was kind of as a mini Rome. And if you were a citizen, so if you lived in Philippi, you were a citizen of Rome. So you were a Roman citizen and that had a whole load of rights and responsibilities and privileges. Um, and so this is, that's why I think Paul uses this phrase. That's why he's tapping into this. Um, so let's just consider that for a moment. And if you're anything like me, I don't think we probably think about our being citizens of the UK, predominantly most of us, I guess, are UK citizens. Maybe we don't think about that an awful lot, but I've kind of been diving into it this week. And actually being a UK citizen gives us, gives you and I, um, a pretty significant list of, of particular rights. It means we have the, um, a permanent right to live and remain in the UK. It means we can access free medical support and social care. It means we can vote and we can stand to be elected. It means we can be a jury member. We can purchase property. We have unlimited access to work, being able to work here, open bank accounts, and hold a passport. This is my passport. So as a UK citizen, you're entitled to a passport, and um, which, again, gives you significant rights. If you read, I don't know if you ever have, but inside the front cover, it says this, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer, so to allow me, um, to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary, right? I, I have got a right to a passport and actually all the benefits and the help that that um, entails. So if, you know, I'm abroad and kind of me and my family get into trouble, actually there is, there is help. There's an assistance from the British government because I am a British citizen, right? Now, again, that's not often very high up in my thinking, but for the Philippians, it definitely was. And I think that's why Paul uses this phrase. That's what he's tapping into is that actually for them, it was really significant for them that they were Roman citizens. And listen, in, in, in this passage and what Paul's saying, is he's not disparaging that and he's not kind of, he's not anti that because if you read in Acts chapter 16, which is the, the chapter that basically is the story of when Paul first goes to Philippi, um, 
and he is flung into prison without trial. And he appeals to the authorities on that basis, basically saying, Oi, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't actually do that. So, so he's not anti it in any way, but he's, he knows that that's important. He knows that's quite an important cultural marker for the church in Philippi. And so he's, he's tapping into that. So he's saying, don't, it's not ignoring that, but he's saying, listen, above that, you know, even greater than that is your citizenship is in heaven. And that makes a difference. And that's what it looks like. Um, so as well as rights, you know, for you and I, as well as having certain rights, actually there are, there are also certain responsibilities that we have um, in citizen, as, as citizens of the UK. A couple of years ago, um, Phil and I um, were asked to go um, with some friends. Um, he was becoming a UK citizen. So he wasn't born here, but he now lives here, is married here, um, has family here, and has, was becoming a UK citizen. And there's a specific ceremony that you go through, and they invited us to, to come along. And it was it was amazing. It was really moving. It was really fun. And it was, it, it felt really significant. But one of the things um, that Abby had to do, he had to, um, he had to swear, he had to make an oath, basically. And as part of that oath, he had to swear allegiance to the Queen and loyalty to the United Kingdom um, and promise to respect its rights and freedoms, uphold its democratic values and observe its laws faithfully. Um, and essentially to promise to fulfill the duties and obligations of being a British citizen. Now, for those of who maybe are born here, like we've never had to do that, you know, it's, and in, I mean, in the United States, it's a bit different. You know, they have the oath, you know, they swear allegiance to the flag every day in school and things, don't they? So that's much more in their thinking. But um, you and I have never had to do that, you know, that idea of making a promise. And actually, where does our allegiance and our loyalty lie? And yeah, OK, there's some, some rights, some amazing privileges we get as citizens, but actually... There's some responsibilities as well. Um, and what does that mean? Um, and again, this is what Paul, this is the picture that Paul is painting. This is what he's kind of drawing them into. He's saying, yes, you have certain rights if you're a Roman citizen, but and actually there was a real requirement of you as Romans and Roman citizens for you to have allegiance to Caesar. Um, and again, without going into huge um, historical detail, you know, the emperor was a really Really big deal. In the empire, it you know, was not a democracy. Um, he was seen as um, an incarnation, if you like, of Roman power. And so he would be referred to in terms such as saviour and as lord, like big statements. So yeah, we need to understand that. So when you know, Paul and the early church um, were talking about Jesus as lord... You know, in the Roman Empire, that's really challenging. That's really conflicting because, you know, Caesar is Lord. And they're coming and saying, no, Jesus is Lord and Savior. So there's this real clash. And what he's saying is, listen, as citizens, your allegiance, your primary allegiance, yes, you're Roman citizens, but your primary allegiance is to Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as King and his kingdom. And that is over and above any empire. And we, we need to be really aware of that. Um, that yes, we are citizens of the UK. And yes, we can be proud of that. And we can be, and I am, you know, hugely thankful and I'm really aware of actually the privileges that gives us. But listen, I mean, as an aside, one thing I want us to be really aware of and guard against is that actually to be, you know, to be thankful, to be proud of, to be fully embracing of um, who you are and where you're from, to be um, proud of your nation, to be patriotic, is fine. It is absolutely fine. And Paul's not against that. We're not against that. But one thing I think we've got to be aware of, you know, even particularly looking in the US in the, you know, in this last kind of chaotic few months, we need to be so aware that, you know, our allegiance to our country, our patriotism, we have to be super careful that doesn't actually um, 
slide and actually come, and it's a pretty ugly nationalism. And listen, we're not immune to that. We saw that post-Brexit in the UK. Things that were dressed up as, you know, love of country and patriotic and a love being British. Actually, really, it was ugly nationalism and there was a whole lot of racism and discrimination and prejudice dressed up with. So uh, listen, that is nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, you know, we can be patriotic, we can be proud and thankful to be UK citizens, but that kind of nationalism... Um, is not okay. Our allegiance is first and foremost into Jesus and his kingdom. And his kingdom um, it kind of supersedes and is over above any political, democratic, national boundaries that we might have. So this is, this is the context, right? This is what he's talking about. He's like, right, you are citizens of Rome. You are, you know, you're supposed to have this allegiance to Caesar, but you, this now needs to look different. As followers of Jesus, it's not the same anymore. Um, so with that in mind, with that understanding of, okay, that's who, um, that's how the Philippians would have seen themselves, how Roman citizens would have seen themselves, that would have been their view and understanding of, um, of culture and, and society and Caesar. Um, that's what we need to have in mind when we read the rest of the book. So even, you know, next week when we go and look at um, that amazing passage, the beginning of Philippians 2, really well-known passage. Listen, what Paul is doing is saying he's almost holding Jesus up as the model citizen, if you like. He's like, this is the example of what being a citizen looks like, living a life worthy. It looks like this. This is why we have to read the whole letter as one letter, as a whole. So he's saying, yes, yeah, absolutely. Be proud of being Roman citizens, and that's fine. Enjoy the rights and the advantages it gives you. That's fine. Like, yes, be loyal to your country. That's fine. But the kingdom of God looks totally different to that Roman culture, which was completely hierarchical. So, you know, privilege and power sat with a very, very small group of people. And if you had it, you were fine. If you didn't, there was no chance of you ever getting it. You know, it was so hierarchical, you know, so about kind of you were honoured if you were in that group and, and you were disparaged if you weren't. And the vast majority of people couldn't make any difference, you know, couldn't make an impact. Um, and that's the cultural, that's the world that Jesus came into, that the gospel was first released to. Um, and, and Jesus, as the model citizen, turned everything that people expected on its head. You know, all the worldly structures of power and influence and honor, he flips it totally and he becomes a servant who suffers and serves and goes low. So we need, listen, we need to understand that the gospel call and the gospel promises um, were utterly transformative, completely radical in their day. And they're still completely radical in our day. Um, it, it completely turns it on its head. So, and yes, being citizens of heaven, you being part of this amazing new kingdom with our allegiance to Jesus as king comes with incredible rights and incredible privileges. You know, like some of the benefits I have of traveling on this passport. Actually, there's help, there's protection, there's, there's safety, there's amazing privileges and rights for us. But there is also a requirement. There is an expectation on us that actually, you know, saying Jesus, of Lord has, Jesus is Lord has to look like something. It looks like submitting the whole of my life to him as Lord. Um, over and above my allegiance or my conformity, my obligation to politics, to race, to class, to culture, you know, the, whatever the presumptions and requirements of, of our cultural moment, our cultural context or situations, whatever happens, this is what Paul, how he starts it, whatever happens, you know, being aware of all of that, no matter what, we live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, we live as citizens of another radically different 
kingdom. We, you know, we are empowered from a completely different source, you know, with, with totally different values that is outworked in a completely different way from the kingdom of cult and cultures of this world. Whether that was 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, whether that's in 2021 in the UK, the kingdom is radically different and living of, as citizens of that kingdom looks very different. And, and Paul picks up this theme again, in, again later on um, in Philippians chapter 3, talks again about our citizenship being in heaven. So what does it look like to be a citizen? So he's saying, you know, no matter what, wherever you find yourself, whatever happens, no matter what, above all of it, above everything, you, your responsibility is to live a life worthy of the gospel, the good news, the announcement of Jesus and his kingdom. So how do we do that? How do we live in a way worthy of, of being citizens, of being part of this new kingdom? And, and really, with, if you think about it, all of the New Testament writing really is, you know, all of the encouragement, the direction, the instruction, the correction, all of that is about, is to that end. It's showing us and helping us see what it looks like to live as citizens. And so, you know, the, the second few verses um, in this passage this morning, which I want to look at super quickly, are, that's what it's looking at. Um, so he says three things, essentially, and they all begin with S, so that's easy for us to remember. Three of the, in this context, three specific ways that actually a life lived worthy of the gospel, you know, living, you know, conducting ourselves as citizens of heaven, looks like this is going to have elements of standing firm, striving together, and suffering. Right? Three things, three S's. So let me, let me read a few verses. So Paul says, listen, then whether I come and see you or even if I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. It's important we hear that. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So what he's saying is, listen, stand firm. Like we stand firm in and on the truth of the gospel. It's all gospel focus. It's all gospel foundation. It's all gospel rooted in absolute confidence of Jesus's king and his kingdom being unshakable. And so I can stand firm. Whatever happens, whatever is happening, however the kingdoms of this world are shaking, however my circumstances feel unsure, actually I can stand firm as a citizen of heaven because that kingdom is unshakable, right? So we, yes, in situations like where Paul finds himself in prison, you know, restricted, limited, challenged, struggling, but he can stand firm. And that's his charge to the church in Philippians. And again, he says, striving together, now we, you know, we love to say, don't we? That is, you know, it's all grace. There's no striving in the kingdom. And on one level, yes, but on another level, actually, no. Um, some other translations translate this word "striving together," working together, laboring together, contending together. And listen, the, we've got to understand this. You know, our 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 being granted citizenship of heaven, if you like, us being welcomed into this new kingdom um, is absolutely not earned. There is no work that you and I can ever do or need to ever do to kind of to grant us entry for us to become citizens, right? All of that work was done by Jesus. And it's, so it's grace, right? And grace is not earned. But that doesn't mean that in the kingdom, there's not effort, right? It's not earned, but there is effort, there is requirement on your part and mine that we strive, that we work, that we, we contend 
to see the kingdom expanding, to see the gospel preached, to, to become the people that we're called to be, to do the stuff that Jesus is asking us to do. It's work, it's effort, it's hard, right? And we, and we strive together. So it's, it's not earned, grace is never earned, but that does not mean in the kingdom there's no effort. So we need to adjust our thinking if that's where we find ourselves. And it's really interesting to me that those two things he says, you know, you've got to stand firm and you're going to strive. He's very specific that that is done as one, right? So he has, says, stand firm in the one spirit. He says, striving together as one, right? And it's, it, we see it time and time again in the New Testament that actually our journey as believers, this life in the kingdom as citizens is done together. Like the need for us to have one mind, one spirit, you know, one heart, one purpose, and it, which is the gospel. That's what he says. You know, we stand firm, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That that's our focus. You know, we're completely unified. We're completely together in that. Um, we do it together. We stand together. We work together. Our journey into maturity is done together. We are not supposed to do it on our own, and we're not going to make it on our own. So Paul makes that really clear. And listen, as we, as we do that, you know, as you and I stand firm, no matter what, as we strive together, no matter what, for this beautiful cause of the gospel, actually, do you know what? That says way more than we realize. That's why I think he carries on um, to talk about actually that we don't need to be frightened. We don't need to be intimidated. And when we just standing firm, right, just keeping doing our thing, just keeping doing the work of the kingdom, just keeping connected and committed to one another, it makes a declaration, I think. It's, it's, almost, it's a way that we fight by just kind of not shifting, by standing firm. It demonstrates that actually where I place my hope, my security, my confidence, my strength, where I find my sense of value, of significance, of purpose, actually that makes a declaration to any kind of spiritual power that would want to accuse and undermine and discourage. Actually, when I stand firm, or when I link arms with you and keep doing the work, it says to those who oppose us, I'm not frightened, I'm not intimidated, because I know who the king is and I know where the kingdom's going. Actually holding our nerve, keeping doing our thing, just with consistency and faithfulness, even when there's opposition, even in suffering, it's a powerful witness. And it is a real declaration um, to, the, to principalities and powers. And we don't need to be intimidated. We don't need to be frightened of those things because you know, we are saved and we're going to be saved. And so that's a, the two first two things that we stand firm in one spirit and that we stand and we strive together for the purpose of the gospel. And the third thing is is suffering. Right. And now I'm, I'm not going to dive into this in detail because we could we can and we probably should at some point do a whole series on suffering or what do we do with it. And, but let me read verse, the last couple of verses for you. Paul says this, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and that you now hear that I still have. Just listen to those opening verses. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Right? I think we're really comfortable with faith being a gift from God. And that's what Paul's saying. Absolutely, it has been granted to you. It has been offered to you, given to you as a gift that you could believe in Jesus but it's not only that. Like we have to understand that actually suffering for him is just as much as a gift as believing in him. And honestly, if we, I, I kind of wish it wasn't. 
right? But I think this, I think this is what Paul's saying. It is just as much of a gift for us to suffer for Jesus on behalf of the gospel as it is a gift to believe in him. And so we, we need to have that understanding. And listen, if this is specifically talking about suffering for Jesus, right? And, you know, suffering is a huge, big, complicated, you know, there's suffering because we live in a, a broken world that one day will be made you, but yet hasn't been. Like we live, sometimes we suffer because we bump up into other people's grotty humanity. Sometimes we suffer, frankly, because we're reaping what we sow in terms of my grotty humanity, right? And that's, that's not suffering for Jesus. That is not persecution. That is reaping what you're sowing if you're behaving like a what's it, right? That's not what we're talking about here. But suffering for Jesus is offered, has been granted to us as a gift. And so our, I guess our, our theology, I suppose, of suffering, our view, our expectation of, of what suffering is and what it does and what it's for, what we think about it, how we view it, is massively, massively going to affect um, our experience of and our approach to suffering when it happens. Right? Paul, is, he's bringing them into experience. And, and I love this about Paul. Is he's, he's cracking open his life. He's not just kind of offering kind of theological um, things from afar. He's bringing them into his journey saying, listen, I get it. I, like you, you're, you are now walking in the stuff that you've seen me struggle with and know that actually I'm still struggling. And it's like, we're in this together, right? He doesn't just offer sympathy and theology. He actually offers empathy. He's not, you know, he's not just someone who has talked the talk. He has walked the walk. He has suffered for Jesus. So he knows. And what he is saying is, listen, guys, this is a gift. Um, and for us, you know, I think honestly in the West, in the UK, probably... Very few of us have really suffered for Jesus. Um, and it's actually when you listen to the voices of the persecuted church, they say with such authority, it is a gift. As much as it's a gift to believe in him, it is a gift to suffer for him. And, but actually, our view of that, our understanding of that, it, it's going to affect how we navigate that. But, and and th- our certainty of our citizenship our security in the kingdom we are now citizens of, citizens of is another key part of actually how we navigate through suffering and is why we then can be like, you know what? I'm not intimidated, I'm not frightened in any way because I know who I am and whose I am. Without being frightened in any way, Paul says, by those who oppose you. We can stand firm because ultimately we know Jesus wins, the enemy loses and the kingdom keeps coming. Bottom line, that's the deal, guys. That is the story. That is the end of the story. Jesus wins, you win, and the enemy is defeated. That's the deal. So citizenship looks like standing firm. It looks like we're connected. We are unified. We are as one, and we're working. We are doing the stuff. We're striving. Um, It looks like actually being able to navigate suffering, seeing uh, suffering for Jesus, navigating that is actually, this is a gift. This is a privilege that has been granted to me. So what am I going to do with that? Um, so I said to you, maybe, you know, there's some areas where as you do feel intimidated, you feel like actually I feel shaky. I don't feel like I'm standing really that firm. You know, maybe there's some areas where actually you need to be more together. You've been a bit on your own, whereas actually the call is come as one, not as the one over there and on your own, but actually as one together. Maybe there's some areas that you and I, do you know what? We need to be striving more. We've maybe slipped into thinking grace means it's not earned and there's no effort on my part. And that's just not true. So let's bring it into land. Above all, no matter what, whatever happens. This is, you know, that was written to a specific group of people 2,000 years ago, but that speaks to us today. Above all, 
no matter what, whatever happens and whatever is happening right now, our call is to live a life, to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the beautiful name of Jesus and the incredible gospel of his kingdom. That's the deal. The good news of Jesus and his crazy, radical, upside-down kingdom. We live as citizens of that kingdom and we need to live a life that represents that, that looks like something. Citizens of that one kingdom. The last thing I want to tell you, and I've been kind of mulling this week, um, this whole thing about being citizens and passports. And, you know, it's possible to be, um, have dual citizenship. Some of you may, may have that. And I have a good friend of ours. He's, um, he was born in South Africa, um, but he is married to a British woman. Um, and he is a British citizen as well. So he has two passports. He has a UK passport. Uh, and he also has a South African passport. And for his job, he, um, he traveled an awful lot um, into Africa and the Middle East. And, and he said, actually, it was a real benefit to him to have these two passports, to be a dual citizen. And he said, because some countries, it was definitely beneficial to travel on this passport. Actually, a UK passport was really helpful um, to get in on a British passport. He says other countries, actually, it really wasn't that helpful. And so it was much better for him to go in as um, a South African citizen. Uh, now, absolutely nothing wrong with that. that. That is entirely legal and is entirely fine. But I, it just made me think, I don't think that's okay for us as citizens of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying, like I said before, I'm not saying we shouldn't be pleased and pr proud and enjoy being um, British citizens or wherever you are a citizen from, wherever, you know, kind of wherever your nation you're from. Like, I'm, it's really okay. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't be patriotic and have a love of country. Um, but, I think the whole of our lives, we need to be living and representing Jesus. We need to be living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Honestly, I don't think it's okay for us as Christians in a spiritual sense to have dual citizenship and almost have two passports, you know, and in some situations say, well, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do the Christian thing in this one. I'll be a, I'll be a Christian citizen. I'll, I'll travel on my Jesus passport in that situation. But actually over there, no, that might, you know, that might be frowned upon. That might not be quite, that might not help me out. That might actually, you know, cause me some difficulty, some opposition. So actually I'm going to leave that one. I'm going to switch. I've got dual citizenship and I'll, you know, I'll be a citizen of the world in that situation, Right. It's, I, we would never think about it in those terms, but honestly, don't we? I know I, sometimes I live like that, that I almost have two passports, that I have dual citizenship and I'll switch <clears throat> as to which one, which one I'm living according to and which one I'm demonstrating. Um, and, and then we switch according to what, you know, what is most beneficial for me in the moment. I get, that's not the call. You know, so my, my encouragement to us, our challenge to us this morning is what passport? are we traveling on? In this kind of journey through life, what passport are you traveling on? You know, is, and is it consistent in every part of your life and in every situation, in every relationship you're in? Which passport are you traveling on? Which, which kingdom are you representing? You know, where is your allegiance? Is it to Jesus as Lord or is it to someone or something else? You know, what, like what does my life communicate when, you know, when I say or I sing, Jesus, your Lord, what does my life actually communicate? Does it communicate that? And what are the areas where maybe it doesn't? So this is, friends, this is my encouragement. In whatever happens, no matter what, no matter where we find ourselves, it is our, it, our primary allegiance is only to King Jesus. And we must commit and recommit and then commit again to live the whole of our lives in a way that is worthy 
of the gospel of Jesus. And the reason we do that is because we've discovered, like we'll find out later on in Philippians, actually, you know, we live a life that is worthy because we have found that Jesus is so worthy. You know, the all-surpassing worth of Jesus means I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stand firm, I'll strive, I'll suffer, I will live a life, I will conduct myself as a citizen of the incredible kingdom of God with my allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So which passport am I travelling on? Where do we need to make some adjustments? I want to, you know, maybe that's where we find ourselves. You know what? I, I've been living with dual citizenship and I'll switch depending where I'm at or what's going on. I like that's, that's not for us. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. So why don't you place a hand on your heart? Let's pray for ourselves. Jesus, we say um, today that we're yours. We choose again to place our allegiance fully at your feet and say, Jesus, you are Lord and you are Savior. And we thank you um, for inviting us in, for allowing us to be citizens of heaven, for um, yeah, inviting us in to be part of your kingdom. And Jesus, I pray for each and every one of us that we would, we would live the whole of our lives, that we'd conduct ourselves in every way, every day, in every situation, in a way that is worthy of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Forgive us, Lord. Show us, Lord. Holy Spirit, convict us where we are. We're maybe living with dual citizenship. We're switching which passport we're traveling on. Jesus, we want to be all in for you and only you. So would you help us to do that? Thank you that there is grace for the journey. There's grace as a free gift and there's grace to sustain us for the work, for the effort, for the contending that we need to do. So help us to do that. And thank you, Jesus, that we don't do it on our own. Thank you that we can do that together. And I pray for us in Manchester and in Leicester as church communities that we would be standing firm with one heart. We would be striving together as one for your gospel and for the cause of your gospel and for the name of Jesus. And we ask it in his name and we ask it for his glory. Amen.